lost your way in life, not in some major way, you're just chugging along through life, and then somehow you get this feeling that maybe, just maybe, you're not where you're meant to be. Things just don't make sense the way they used to. Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing in our series called Following Jesus with Confidence. So let's check out what happens to our confidence when we're faced with hurdles in life. If you've ever had that nagging suspicion that things aren't quite right in your life, then you're not alone. It's something that we all experience from time to time. Well, we don't think about it, but in a very real sense, for most of us, life follows a pretty familiar, well-worn trail. We're born, we go to school, we become adults, we marry, we have kids, they go to school, they grow up, and eventually we die. I know that's a bit of an oversimplification, and I know that a good many people don't follow every step of that path. And I know there are many twists and turns and variations on the theme. But for most of us, that pretty much describes it. And along the way, we go through some times of great joy, times of great sadness, and long periods of the mundane, same old, same old. Our emotions go up, they go down. Our fortunes, they go up, they go down. But we're born, we bring children into the world, most of us, and then we die. That's the basic template on which the human race relies. So so you're following along that path, and, and at some stage... Perhaps you encounter Jesus and you decide to walk the rest of your journey with him, where he leads according to his plans and his purposes for your life. Some people find that notion pretty depressing. I used to, to tell you the truth. But these days it is singularly the most liberating thing about my life. To be able to live out the plans and the purposes for my life that God himself dreamed up before time began. I have to tell you, that's just unreal. But I, like the next person, sometimes get into those patches in life when I wonder, am I actually in the right place? Am I doing what God made me to do? And is all this stuff going on around me making sense? I wonder where you're at right now. In an up? In a down? In one of those long periods of boring mundaneness of life? Same day after day? Are you in a place of contentment, knowing that you're on the right path? Or are you kind of wondering where it's all headed? In the army, I spent 10 years as a military officer. When we were training for war, they taught us about this concept, this idea called the fog of war. It's this idea that when you're fighting the battle, you're enveloped in kind of a fog. Part of the fog is that you don't have all the information you need about your enemy, how strong he is, how many troops he has, how many tanks he has, how well trained his soldiers are, what his morale's like, what his plans are, what his tactics are. Part of it is that you're tired, exhausted, often afraid. Your morale is down. Your troops, their morale is up and it's down. And then the bullets start flying and the shells start exploding around you. It's, it's like you're in a fog, a stupor, and making really good, well-informed, rational decisions becomes extremely difficult. That's what this idea the fog of war is all about. In a very real sense, we sometimes operate in a bit of a fog too, Our emotions are playing havoc with us. People are having a go and we don't understand their motives and their intentions. And God, well, what about him? What exactly is he up to? Am I in the right place? Am I doing the things I'm meant to be doing? 
have I maybe taken a wrong turn? And it's in this fog that we can start questioning God's faithfulness. It's in this fog that we start second-guessing God and ourselves. We'd like to think we have it all together. We'd like to know where life's headed. But all too often, we either don't have a clue, or we thought we did, but we're really not that sure anymore. Do you relate to some of that? There seems to be a gap between our present circumstances and what we think the future might be about. Right now, we're in the last message in a series called Following Jesus with Confidence. The reason we're talking about this stuff today is that when we're enveloped in this fog, it's hard to be confident. The thing about this fog is that it limits your field of vision, so it's easy, really easy, to end up taking a wrong step. But I believe that God wants you to have confidence in him, that he wants me to have confidence in him, even when we're in the middle of this fog of war, as I've called it. In fact, especially then, when you think about it, it's when things are unclear, when we're tired, when our emotions aren't functioning properly, that we really need God because his field of vision is never, ever limited by anything. The first thing we need to know when we're wandering through a bit of a fog in life is that God is faithful. He's not angry. He's not disappointed. He's like a loving father, keen to see his child learn, keen to help his child through the fog. His love in that fog, his faithfulness in that fog are rock solid. King David had more enemies than most of us. He went through many trials in his life. And so many of the Psalms that he wrote, he's pouring his heart out to God in the midst of the fog of war. Psalm 86, verses 1 to 7. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I'm poor and I'm needy. Preserve my life, for I'm devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts you. Oh my God, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. And towards the end of that psalm, based on his past experiences, David concludes this psalm 86 verses 14 to 17. Oh God, the insolent rise up against me and a band of ruffians seeks my life. And they don't set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Show me a sign of your favour so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and have comforted me. I know there are people going through one of those times in their lives right now when it's hard to follow Jesus with any sort of confidence. And I know there are people today for whom such a time is just around the corner. Your God is merciful and gracious. Your God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's just who he is. So if you know that you've turned your back on him, turn back now. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you in Jesus' name. And it's a done deal. You're forgiven. You stand before him as clean and as pure as Jesus himself. Because that's why Jesus died for you. That's why Jesus did what he did. To give you a fresh start with a slate wiped clean. And now as you draw close to him, you can take each step with him being completely certain that when you need to turn to the left or to the right, he'll let you know. 
when you need to stop and wait for a while or, or move a bit more quickly, he'll let you know. That's the deal. That's the promise. I do not call you servants any longer, said Jesus to his disciples, because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. John chapter 15, verse 15. My friend, wherever you find yourself along your journey right now, the answer, the answer is Jesus. One of the great tragedies I see in people's lives is that they've become slaves to their circumstances, their passions, the ways of this world, slaves to a whole bunch of things that promise so much and yet left their lives empty and hollow, bereft of meaning and purpose. You and I can go through many trials in life, things that tear at our flesh and our emotions, but when you stop and think about it, we were made to be at peace. We were made to experience perfect peace and satisfaction and contentment. How do I know that? Because when I look back to see how God created us from the beginning, it's exactly what I see. Adam and Eve were in a beautiful garden living the perfect life until they turned their backs on God. Genesis chapter 2 gives us the most beautiful picture of the perfect life that God has planned for us. But of course humanity, you and me included, turned our backs on God. And so sickness and trial and temptation and consequences of rebelling against God, they all entered the world. That's why we have to suffer, as Shakespeare calls it, the slings and arrows of apparently outrageous fortunes. That's why things happen to us that we would never choose for ourselves. That's why we end up doing things to other people that really we wish we hadn't. And that's why we're so powerless to save ourselves from continuing in a life that falls so far short of that beautiful, perfect ideal that God has planned for us. So people, you and me included, carry all this baggage around through life, baggage that gets heavier and heavier as the years pass. And whether you realise it or not, we become slaves to sin. We, we may not call it that, but all that weight on our shoulders becomes the norm. It drains the life out of us. And so we live as though this is the norm. We live as though slavery to sin and all its consequences is a normal state. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, wake up, because it's not normal. It's anything but normal. Sin may be common, but it's not normal. All too many are slaves without even realising it. Have a listen to this discussion that Jesus had with some Jews, God's chosen people as they were, John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But they answered to him, Hang on, we're descendants of Abraham, and we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You see, they didn't even realise they were slaves. They saw themselves as God's chosen people, not as slaves. Slaves were those people they had at home, the Gentiles for the most part, who served them. But they themselves, they were free. They were God's chosen people. But Jesus, as he has a habit of doing, goes straight 
to the heart of the reality. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And here's the thing. If we're living in some sin that we're holding out on in our relationship with God, that slavery has terrible consequences. You can never have a deep, wonderful, intimate relationship with God. You you can't live your life in confidence in Jesus because every moment of every day, that guilt that your conscience is so sensitive to robs you of that ability. Think about it. A man's cheating on his wife. I had a letter just recently from a man who is seeing a prostitute. He's cheating on his wife and he asked me what the Bible said. Come on, can he truly have a deep, wonderful, intimate perfect relationship with his wife while he's cheating on her behind her back. He can pretend to. He can deceive his wife, although eventually she'll figure it out. But deep in his heart, he cannot know the bliss of an intimate, exclusive relationship with his wife because his conscience is condemning him. God gave us a conscience for very good reason indeed. He gave us a sense of touch so that when we touch something hot, it'll hurt and we can pull away from it before we really injure ourselves badly. Well, your conscience and mine serve exactly the same purpose. When we stubbornly refuse to yield one particular area of our lives to Jesus, our conscience robs us of that peace and the joy that we're meant to be living in. And the purpose of that, the reason it works that way, is to get us to turn away from that thing before it seriously hurts us. I've met people who've been seeking the sort of relationship with Jesus that we've been talking about in this series, the sort where no matter what comes their way, God gives them this quiet confidence in him, confidence in Jesus, and yet they continue on as slaves in sin, living with a slave mentality that will always, in 100% of cases, rob them of the very thing that they're looking for. Let me ask you kindly but plainly today, are you one of those people? Because if you are, if you're yearning for that confidence and peace and joy in Christ Jesus, but your sin has been robbing you of that, then I have the answer for you today. It comes directly from God's word. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And this word from him is the power to set you free to utterly transform your life. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Don't don't you realise that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death. So just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again because death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Therefore, don't let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death back to life 
and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. My friend, Jesus came to set you free. If, if you've put your trust in him, then two things have happened. Firstly, you've died to your sin. It no longer has power over you because Jesus quashed it on the cross. That's an historical, judicial, forensic fact. And secondly, because he rose again from the dead, he has brought you the power to be free from sin. Do you believe in Jesus? Then you have the power to overcome your sin, a power that none of us has in and of ourselves. It's a gift from God, this power. It's his power. It's the only power that there is that will actually set you free. You are free. And so now you can choose not to let sin have dominion over your body anymore. It'll be a battle-by-battle struggle, but it's a war that you've already won. And my friend, as you yield yourself completely to Jesus, you will, I guarantee this, you'll be filled with peace, with joy, and with confidence in him. How do I know? Because that's just how it works. If you don't believe me, give it a spin. Well, before the break, I made the point that your conscience is a lot like your sense of touch. Your conscience and mine serve exactly the same purpose. When we stubbornly refuse to yield one particular area of our lives to Jesus, our conscience robs us of the peace and the joy that we're meant to be living in. And the purpose of that is to get us to turn away from that thing before it seriously hurts us. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast demons out in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, faith translates into works. The works don't save us but they're evidence of a genuine faith. They're the fulfilment of our faith, if you will. And without them, the Bible tells us, James chapter 2, verse 20, without them, our faith is dead. People who stubbornly continue in sin are going to get a rude shock when it comes to their day of judgment. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you want to follow Jesus with confidence, don't expect to be able to do that if you stubbornly refuse to turn away from your sin and turn back to God. The bottom line, the executive summary of all this, the outcomes of our rebellion, comes in Hebrews chapter 10, 26 and 27. You may not like this verse, but we're going to read it anyway. For if we willfully persist in sin after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The alternative is keeping short accounts with God. If we say that we have no sin, we're kidding ourselves 
and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we're making God a liar and his word is not in us. First John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Well, what I've noticed is this. The longer I take to go to God and ask him for his forgiveness, the worse my life is. Can I say it again? The longer I take to go to God and ask him for his forgiveness, the worse my life is. The less confidence I have in him, the less peace I have, the less joy I have. But the quicker I am to go to him and be honest with him and admit my mistake or my rebellion or whatever the case may be, the more confidence I have in him, the more peace I have, the more joy I have. We learn by our mistakes and hanging on to my sin, I've learned, is never, ever, ever worth it in the end. Because the longer I hang on to it, the more stubborn I become over it and then I'm putting my eternal life in peril. Why does God want you and me to be honest with ourselves and with him about our sin? Because our sin, our rebellion against God, robs us of life itself. It robs us of peace and confidence in order that we would come to our senses. You and I were made to live in perfect peace, perfect joy, and perfect contentment. Even though we go through many trials, that's how we were made to live. That's why God takes your sin and my sin so incredibly seriously, because it robs us of that perfect peace and that joy and that contentment that God has for us. He takes it so seriously that he allowed Jesus to come and be nailed to a cross to remove the power and the devastating effects of sin from your life and mine. Do you truly want to follow Jesus with confidence? Then, my friend, keep short accounts with God. Ask for his forgiveness, turn away from your sins, repent and turn back to God. Let me tell you, it is an absolute game changer. And the reason it's a game changer is that's always how it was meant to be. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimat. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time.